0: Hi, my name is John. I'm a compulsive beater. asked me to do it again. <laughs> so I was telling Adam before the meeting, I said, this is like, this and, and like Serenity Sunday are the only two meetings I ever actually get nervous speaking in front of, you know, because it's, it's, um, it's weird, you know. I mean, I've, I a couple of months ago I was speaking at this convention in Virginia Beach in front of like, five hundred overeaters and I'm fine. But I get up here and I think part of it is the the people I really respect, the people who I want to be like who who have what I want, a lot of them are here and uh, you know, and and a lot of whom I quote a lot. <laughs> you know there's people who've never been to an LA meeting who know who Terrell and Jack and Don and Victor are uh because um you know and that's what it is. Most of us we all get this stuff from other people. You know, there's very few f- absolutely new ideas. I may restate stuff that's from the Big Book and the Steps, but it ain't mine. You know, and and that's and that's it. We all you know work together on this. So, um, so a, a couple, just a couple numbers get out of the way. I've been coming to program for 34 years. Uh, I'm sober in another program for 34 years. I'm abstinent for 21 in this program and uh, obviously the difference between 21 and 34 means that I have relapse in my story and it's very uh, a big part of what I, I I'm i you know it's I spent a lot of time talking about relapse because it's very important for me and and when I say relapse it was really a multiple year relapse cycle in and out and in and out and, and maybe not and when I say out I didn't even leave these rooms I just couldn't stay and so I'll talk about that a little um later and I've been maintaining about hundred 500 pound 10 pound weight loss for most of that time except in the middle of the relapse obviously um uh, because I do relapses really good too
1: <laughs>
0: I was really good at them and they did them a lot um but uh, uh very quickly I'm going to try and I'm going to go through my food log reasonably quickly I think um I'm the child of two different alcoholics and addicts and uh they divorced in early age and I sort of went back and forth between the frying pan and the fire but I got some really bad modeling as a result of that things like um, something happens and and you just don't even talk about it, you know. You know, forget that car is sticking out of the front door, <laughs> you know. Uh, it, you know, just don't. Just, how was your day? Or screaming arguments, things being thrown in the next morning. Everything's fine, fine, fine. We don't talk. We move on, and um, and and no, you know, we would talk forever about politics or baseball, but nothing about emotions, how we felt at all, and uh, um. The most important modeling I got and I and 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 it's not like not like parents ever sit down and say, oh, go become an alcoholic and abuse drugs or or food. But they do things that kids watch and then mimic. And one of the things I saw a lot is I saw my parents, whenever they would get upset, say, I need uh, something. I need a drink. I need a cigarette. I need a pill. And as a little kid, you get the idea, oh, well, if I don't like how I'm feeling inside here, there's something out there I can put in here that'll make me feel better. You know, the concept that this could be changed by, you know, in another way just was foreign. And so I grew up as the fat kid in school. Uh, A.G., the guy who used to be the first man, who was the first man in the program, used to say, there's no hell on earth like being a fat kid. And trust me, he was right. He was brutal. And I was also a gifted kid, you know, and so I was a lot smarter. And and the trouble with that is when you when you're a fat kid who feels like shit about yourself here, you want to grab on any little thread of self-esteem you can. So. All growing up until even when I came into program, uh, when you met me, I had to make sure you knew just how smart I was, you know, so I would correct your English and nothing makes friends better than that, you know. (laughs) And uh, But the, the, the point being, not even as much as an adult, but as a kid. And it's just more of that, the fat kid and the brainiac kid who's screwing up the curve. It just estranged me even more from my fellows, you know. And, and it took me years, even in program, to get that there's, there's not just two groups of people in the world. John and everybody else, you know. Because that's the way I felt for so many years. And... Um, the... Uh, and so growing up, I, I, you know, and it wasn't like I I wanted, you know, and of course, I I used food um, because that's what I learned, and uh, I used to say I I uh, I, uh, I used food because they hadn't invented crack yet, <laughs> but the reality reality was I'm really thankful I never really got into any drugs because uh, I'd be dead. I'd be dead. I mean, if it weren't for this program I know I'd be dead anyway. I mean it's absolutely I mean I've had you know, I get kitted over in the other programs sometimes about the food and ooh, you know, being you know, gonna find you, you know, in the gutter with a bag of Twinkies and and I tell people I've buried two sponsees in this program that are dead, you know. One died in a fire because he was too big to get out. Okay. And we've all known people people that that are not here anymore and so you know, this isn't a step between Jenny Craig and, and uh, Weight Watchers for me. It's you know, it's the one with the body count. You know, and um, uh, and I know that would be me, absolutely. And uh, and and it's you know, it's not like growing up. I wanted to be fat. I try. You know, when I came into program, I used to say I tried every diet, and none of them worked. And the reality is, I tried them all, and they all worked once because I'm a good little student. You tell me what I need to pass the course, I will follow it. But the trouble is I got that addict's brain that immediately starts looking for the loopholes. And so then the first time's done, now it doesn't work anymore. And and that went on all the way growing up, you know, cunning, you know, baffling, powerful disease. I love Marcy from Program Says, you can't fix a broken brain with a broken brain. And it's it's absolutely true. Yet it drove me crazy because I did have this great brain that did so many things in this one area I was powerless and I, I just couldn't get that and so I grew up as a fat kid and, and I didn't touch alcohol I, and I'm not going to go into that very much but I have to mention because it is part of my story that I being a little brainiac kid who knew he had two alcoholic parents read up and said oh gee children of alcoholics become alcoholics I don't ever want to do that so I won't touch alcohol and I got to high school and I'm a kid full of hormones and I am I don't know if there's a, a TV show that's on or I don't know if it's still doing this but that the guy had to be drunk to be able to talk had to drink to be able to talk to women well that was essentially what happened to me I I drank just not because I wanted to drink but I wanted to get calm and and, and, I, and as soon as I did that wow all of a sudden I felt better about myself and I could be calm and and talk to the opposite sex, and, and of course, I went zero to 60 with that. You know, I, I went, um, uh, you know, very quickly. And the only reason I mentioned that, it was, it was the first time in my life I ever lost weight, because, I, for any significant amount, because essentially I, I changed my sugar over to liquid form, essentially, you know. And um, I didn't, the other thing is, I would, the other way I lost weight is I, I, somewhere in here I knew there was no, there was no dimmer switch you know there was an off on switch and so i lost weight by not eating for a week at a time and then binging for one day and then not eating and if you're you've got the metabolism of a 20 something year old and you don't eat for seven days and then you binge for one guess what you're going to lose weight you know i would also i i got into crazy exercising where i would exercise until i literally would wake up along the side of the road i'd literally pass out i'd get so lightheaded and um, that was my idea of how to do things. You know, anything worth doing is worth overdoing, right? And uh, um, and so um, and that worked for a little while. But then, and I got my first girlfriend, and I had my first relationship, and then, of course, that took over <laughs> you know and uh uh then uh I lost a girlfriend I lo- I then was eating and drinking and uh, I used to say I was I was a dr- I was I was fat then I was a drunk and then I was a fat drunk, <laughs> you know and um in December of 1980 I ended up in a detox and um uh I I found my first program. I, I had actually gone to the meetings. I actually got to the meetings as a kid. <laughs> the AA meetings were a place to go get
1: donuts.
0: <laughs> yeah. My brother would leave me in the back and they'd they'd stop for break and be what happened to all the donuts? <laughs> you know, what happened to the cookies? You know, I don't know. Um, But um I had rebelled against uh, any kind of a 12-step program because I don't want to be part of any religious thing. You guys are a bunch of religious nuts. And uh, that was the way I felt about it. And so when I finally I got kicked out of the detox on Christmas week, there's nothing more depressing than getting kicked out of a detox, you know. It's like, man... So I showed them. I went and got drunk. And then I came back the next day, and, and for whatever reason, uh, my higher power said, okay, he's had enough.
1: Um,
0: or I thought he did at the big time. And I, I found a guy who became my first sponsor in that program, and and I started arguing with him. You we know, were putting away chairs at the end of the meeting. And uh, I said, like, I can't be part of this religious thing. And he said, no, oh, that's spiritual. And, and I went, look. And they used to have the 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 uh, window shade steps and traditions up in the wall look look it says god it says god it has him with a capital h (laughs) and he said the most brilliant thing he could have ever said to me he said okay leave it out you know like one of those what you know (laughs) and he says right now your disease is looking for any reason to go out and not take this seriously or leave What could be better than to think, oh, you know? And it was the most brilliant thing he could have ever said to me because it took the pressure off, you know? He said, you can be a hundred years old in this program, be a stone-cold atheist, it won't matter. Just keep coming. Nobody's going to tell you you ever have to believe anything. And that was so important because yeah, I've, heard, I've heard people tell newcomers, oh, keep coming, you'll get it. And that would have sent me out just as fast because I was still so paranoid. Oh, my God, it's going to be like a cult and they're going to grab me. But because he said you don't ever have to believe in anything, it allowed the door to crack, just the slightest bit, a little mustard seed, whatever you want to call it, and I kept coming. Now, that's all I want to talk about that program other than, i I then started crazy dieting again there and and all that stuff, and then I slipped in that program and By then, I'd heard of Way and I, uh, so when I came back, I really realized I needed to go and and my uh I, uh, uh, said to my sponsor, uh, I need to go to OA A two. And he's like, you know, when you come into AA, they're like, oh, here, have some, have some candy bars. And I go, no, no, these two things are like, you know, integrated for me. And he said, okay, you make my meetings. You still make the meetings I told you I want you to go to. I don't care what the hell you do. <laughs> and so I went to that and I, of course, the light bulb went off. Of course, this is why all that brain is of absolutely no use. I am powerless over food. My life is unmanageable. And, um, and I was able to come and I was able to start to understand Uh, and of course I did it totally ass backwards and yet it worked it worked the first time around right so I I uh I did it absolutely horribly. And, and it was like the one time in my life I've ever been anorexic. I, I always say I've had every iteration of this disease. I'm a compulsive eater. I have been bulimic. I have been exercise bulimic. And this one little sliver of time, I became anorexic because I was pretty much fat my whole life until then. You know, was little little slivers of time, but pretty much fat my whole life. And if you're fat, you've got this great idea of what goal weight means it's like it's like this you know goal weight with like angels singing and the cloud you know the sun coming through the clouds and goal weight and so I had this crazy idea with goal weight and so I had a number and I got to that number and nothing changed I didn't like myself any better I didn't feel any different about myself I wasn't any more confident talking so I the, the great brain that I got says, "Well, that must not be the right number." <laughs> so I lose another ten pounds, and still nothing changes. And then I lose another ten pounds, and now people are coming up, going, "Are you okay?" <laughs> you know, and and what it, you know, I, in a way, I'm really glad I had that experience because it taught me there's no number on a scale that's going to make me feel better. It's it's an inside job. So. Um, <sighs> So I, I, I kept coming. I did it totally wrong. I had a sponsor and the sponsor left program. And I'm like, well, I don't need that. I got to sponsor any other program. And 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 for and I did really well for like about a couple of years. And then I started. Uh, some of you guys know I used to be a stand up comic and uh, I started doing that at night and I'm working during the day and I have no time for meetings. And my disease is really patient. It waited probably a year. You know, I stopped going to meetings on a regular basis, but I knew, I know what I got to do now. I'm a compulsive eater. I got to follow my my dignity of choice. And boom, I I end up falling on my face anyway. You know, it's a white out of pills story in the big book. I'm pounding my fist on the bar asking how did it happen again. And it's because I need this program. I need you guys. I need to come I love it. There was a lady once who used to say, I'm not a, I'm not a slow learner. I'm a quick forgetter, <laughs> you know, and that's really true. You know, uh, I got to remember that, you know, uh, and uh, I needed to get back. I came back and, and, and I slipped and slid a while. I ended up with a really good group. I was in Connecticut and a really good group in Darien, Connecticut, and I did well. I ended up meeting somebody, I got married, I was a stand-up comic, she was, and we came out here, and I wanted to become a comedy writer, and after I came out here, everything fell apart, it just, and then I was on that slipping, sliding, uh, you know, uh, thing of, of a, a couple weeks on, a couple weeks off, a month on, a month off, and it was miserable, you know, it was absolutely miserable. Because I was in program for 14 years. The trouble is, I was in a different program than I'm in now. I was in the OA that OA was all about coming to meetings and getting a chance to talk about me. <laughs> you know, it was essentially glorified group therapy. There was no steps. There was no big book. There was none of that. In fact, we used to make fun of the old farts who would sit there and talk about the steps in the big book, you know. And then... I ended up leaving this program for a while going to one a little more structured. And then when I came back to this program, all those hit slick, cool people who made fun of the old farts, they're gone. Who's still here? The old farts that are talking about the big book and the steps and all that stuff. So there was an important lesson to be learned there. But during that slip, it was just horrible because I, you know, I, I you know, it wasn't like it wasn't like I had this slip. And hadn't been away. I was going away constantly for 14 years. And yet I'm in the middle of a slip. And, you know, that knowledge of our disease alone will not cure. us. is just a perfect example there. And what finally I, I ended up going to the program, I got abstinent. And looking back, it's taken me years. And, and if you're, you know, if you're having prior motor relapse happens to be something I, I can talk to you after uh, I have, actually have something here, but it's not program improved, so I'm not going to talk about it. Uh, I can help you with. But one of the things that I realized about... First of all, this disease is hard. If nobody ever says that out loud, let me just say it, especially if you're new. This is hard. You know, we have to do this three times a day. Now, I know people say, well, alcoholics have to drink. They just don't drink alcohol. But you know... This alcoholic has never had a drink of what? Maybe like in my first month or two in program, I would stay away from orange juice because I used to drink screwdrivers occasionally. But other than that, uh, you know, I have, I, you know, was it, uh, at comedy clubs for years with drunks telling me jokes where they're holding a drink under my nose and, and it didn't do anything to me. But... Um, I've been in a not good spiritual place and had an abstinent meal and, and finished and went and stood in front of the refrigerator going, I want more. And that's because it's just right there all the time for us. And, it, it, you know, again, there's a lot of reasons I won't spend you a lot of time, but, you know. This is with us from birth, you know, and it represents mother and love and reward and all these things. And it's societally acceptable. You turn on the TV, there's all these commercials. And you never see at the end of those commercials, please eat responsibly, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Shouldn't that be, you know, but talk about alcohol, you know. And, and so it's society. But the, the, the worst thing about this disease is how it delivers the pain you know you know say what you want if there's a good thing to be said about alcoholism and addiction there's a phrase you don't hear very much if there's a good thing to be said about alcohol and addiction it it slams you down face first into the pavement and you if you have a sense every once in a while you go what the hell am I doing but the trouble with food is it's so slow and it's so insidious and it allows you, especially if you got a good brain, to just keep moving those goalposts and say, well, I'll never get to 200. Well, I'll never get to 210. And then you start wearing elastic waistband pants and you only look at yourself from the mirror, from here up and all that stuff. And that's what's so hard is it's, it's a, it's more of a chronic pain than an acute pain. And, and so it makes you, you know, how to, you know, it makes you accept more and more what was, Previously unacceptable to you, you know, it allows, you know, and and it just never, you know I, I always use the analogy of the boiling frog, you know, the scientists have found You know that, that you can take a frog and you bring it toward a pan of boiling water and it knows it's not dumb It doesn't want to be in there But you can take that same frog and put it in another pan of room-temperature water and slowly turn up the heat and it'll, it'll never jump out of that pan. It'll die in there. And that's sort of the analogy of this disease, is that the heat keeps getting worse and worse and we keep being able to make, and that's what happened to me, you know, and, so then I'm in the middle of this relapse. And and I was, I, you know, again, I'm a good little student. You tell me I'm powerless over food. I'll get up there. I'm powerless over food. and Then I would go eat and I'm powerless and I come back. I'm powerless over food and I eat again. Well, how powerless did I really think I was? I'm going out and eating again because, you know, if I followed that thought, was I saying, oh, the heck with the way I'm never coming back? No, I was like, when I'm ready, I will come back and I will get abstinent again. And the reason is I had the empirical proof. I had broken my absence and gotten it back over and over and over. So how could I tell myself I was powerless, right? And what I had to realize is I needed to change the, 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 the thought of it. I'm, I have to see I'm powerless in the big picture. You know, like in, in movies, they, they pull back to what they call an establishing shot, where you all of a sudden see the big picture. And I realized I was never abstinent all those times. I was just on another end of a of a lifelong in and out cycle. You know, it wasn't abstinent either of those times. And, and, you know, when I first came in, it's been around a while, it used to always hear, we don't eat no matter what. It used to be like, real, rah, I heard somebody say it better. They said, if you're a compulsive eater and you've made food an option, it's always going to be the only option. It's going to be the path of least resistance. Because if you're, you end up going through something, maybe when everything's fine, you won't be. But when you're going through something and all of a sudden you have an option to eat something that A, you like the taste of, and B, used to make you feel better and maybe get you through these times, it's, it's, it's a no-brainer. And I realized that was how I had to change how I saw the powerlessness. It had to be about food can no longer be an option. You know, and that, that's what the, the, the sort of shifted. And the other thing that helped was sort of getting what the disease, the disease was for me. You know, because I would always say the disease and, and I never really was able to pull that into into. Uh, Focus And for me today, I, I really have a f- sort of a face on the disease. Because, you know, it's in my head, but it's, it's it, you know, it, I need, need to see it differently. In other words, when we know a person with cancer... You know, we don't look at the person they say, how, "How stupid are you to get cancer?" Or if they've been in remission and they get it again, we don't go, oh, "Didn't you learn the first time? Why are you getting cancer?" And we understand that that's different. But if you think about it, those cancer cells are being grown in their bodies. They are growing the cancer, and but they don't want it. And the, the trouble with this disease is, it's more of a, a you know a cognitive disease, and it's different. And so. I needed to start to see those voices, those things that were telling me to go do that. Or to, that's the disease. And if I can start to say, hey, no, you know. And for me, the way I, I put it is is my disease is like the world's best salesman. You know, if you think of somebody who's a really good salesman, right? And they're really slick and they're, they're likable and they like their product and they know you like their product, right? And that's what this disease is and it's a disease it's a salesman that, that's up 24 7 with you you know and it's there all the time and it's also a disease that can read your mind so imagine how hard it would be to be a, to have to deal with a salesman where when you're about to say no he already knows and says oh well, but here about how about this you know start tomorrow we'll make this uh you know you know it's the first of the month next week all right you know any of these things and the, the evilest thing about my disease is that salesman, if it does make the sale, if it gets me to go eat, when I'm eating, it puts its arm around me and says, and by the way, this is your idea. You know? And it gets me to go, oh, I did this again. I did. And instead of seeing, no, this is the disease taking hold. And, and it made a huge difference in how I saw things. And, and I just want to really quick go through steps. I mean... You know, I, I got that I was powerless, that especially at that point about the, you know, the disease. I'm powerless over the food. Uh, I came in, I did come to a belief in a higher power, you know, it's and everybody's different on that. You know, I'll I'll tell sponsees, the only thing you got to believe is that you're a lesser power. You don't have to believe in any formalized higher power. And today, you know, when I was new, I I had to figure out what my higher power... Now, it doesn't matter, you know. Everything's happening the way it is supposed to, and, and my job is just to go along with it, you know. For me, the most important word in the steps is the word only in the 11th step, praying only for knowledge of his will because i used to go around god was santa claus i got this list if you give me what's on this list then i'll believe in you you know but today i really get you know it's about it's not at the basis level if you're an atheist or an agnostic or you're trying to figure this out it's about making it less about me being in the center of the universe you know And that I can't do it, and I can't do it alone. And the other thing is, I believe this program is... Okay, I believe in this program as a thing from God. You don't have to. But you can believe in the program because you can see the empirical proof all around you that this program works and that this was given to us. You know, I mean, anybody who's been around, they know priests, rabbis, ministers, cantors, nuns who are in this program. If it was simply a matter of a conscious contact with a higher power, they wouldn't have had to been here. But they needed the same rowboat we did that was given to us. And if you don't want to think of it, If you don't have any belief in higher power, fine. Then just cut the thread for the rowboat to God and just think of getting in the rowboat and doing what's there. Because this does work if you work it. I'm sitting here looking at, I don't know how many people that have been doing it, not just for a little while, you know. Um, and And so... I knew that that I was crazy. Well, at least when it comes to this disease, it's such a specialized insanity, too. You know, if it was kind of insanity that made me all of a sudden come to in the middle of the street, I'd go, man, my head's messed up. I better not trust it. But I'm so good, and we're so good at so many other things, but in this one particular area, I'm nuts. As I always like to flip the, the, the second step around and say, I'm nuts, I need help. I got the help It's here, and I need to avail myself. And then the third step, it's about get a sponsor you know i uh, uh i always said what, when i came out at relapse i needed a sponsor way more than i needed a higher power you know and the reality is the sponsor was just a bridge to the higher power anyway you know and you guys you know al s from program he, al gets up and says the problem with this program is there's too many people who find god before they find a food plan
1: <laughs>
0: and uh, you know uh But it's true. And then, you know, know, finding out and finding about the food. Uh, For me, I'm a big believer. You know, I'm a big believer. You've got to put the food down and you've got to get it in place. And I love the fact that OA now has a definition of abstinence. Abstinence is, you uh, you know, refraining from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors while moving toward or being at a healthy body weight, you know. Um, used to be good friends with Roseanne before she passed away. And she used to always say, I didn't start this to be a fat and happy club. You know, it's meant to, to get recovery from the disease, you know. And uh, and, and so, yeah, I'll wrap up. The, and for me, just uh, six and seven. I mean, I went through the, the, the uh, you know, the, the going through the fourth and fifth step. Six and seven are really important because I believe my character defects are how my disease gets back in. Because my two biggest ones are immaturity. I want when I want when I want it. And, uh, uh, and uh, narcissism, self-centeredness. So I could talk to the big book. So that's what I need to do. And then I keep working. So I ran out of time on the steps. So anybody wants to ask me about those when I'm done, <laughs> then I'll finish up. Thanks for letting me share. <laughs>
1: yes.
0: This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing of this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not to identify yourself. Uh, please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Um, and so it's open for any questions.
1: Gary! Around a long time, you've known me a long time. I seem to have a knack for, for uh, <laughs> snatching defeat out of the jaws of victory. Yeah. Uh, there's always something. Yeah. I, I lost. Yeah. Whatever it was, and then yeah. And I'm sitting here. This is the first meeting I've been to in months, mm. and it's so hard to stay focused. Mm-hmm. And my mind is racing. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to, you know, whoever wants to organize a food plant wants to organize a plant. To mm-hmm. And I just. Yeah. How do you come back slowly yeah. in a way that it works? Because I'm 65 years old. I pulled yeah. eight 850 liters of fluid out of my lung later last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is, I don't have. No, I
0: know. I know what you mean. I uh, yeah. I said to somebody once. Uh, yeah, I'm going to repeat it. Uh, he he was asking. Yeah, I'm the guy who always used to say that, didn't I? Please repeat the question. Please repeat the question. Anyway, um, it was asking about how if you've been in program for a long time and and going through a slipping you know uh, relapse cycle, how you get out of it and 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 talking about the age. I mean, I say I'm you know I'm. Over 60 now. And, uh, you know, being really overweight's a young man's game. I, I remember saying to the, one of the guys, the guy who died in the fire, I said, go see how many people that are your weight at your age in the mall. You're not going to see many. Why not? They're not here. Where do you think they are? I can tell you they're on the other side of the dirt. And it becomes much more important. And, and literally, if the, the only good thing about that." Is you can start to see it more of a, of a life and death thing that alcoholics and addicts do, and for me, it still comes down to the first three steps and and in the most basic thing of, you know, you gotta realize your disease is going to constantly negotiate. I think IRA is somebody who always says you can't negotiate you re- negotiate with the disease; it's always going to win, and, um, and 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 so to say. Uh, You know you're powerless and and you you need help and and you got to turn it over and for me that the the concrete thing is go find somebody to be a sponsor say I need help tell me what to do and then take direction especially about the food in the beginning because my disease has still got my brain and it's going to want to say well I don't want to give up this and I don't want to give up that well where's the willing to go to any lengths in that you know, where, you know where's the, in, in the you know it's a half measure thing and it has to be about just saying I give up I give up yeah I've been in this program a long time I mean when I was in the middle of that relapse I could quote huge sections of the first 164 pages of the big book to I don't remember if he is inst- I just is true i was at artist in absence once i was coming off a relapse and i quoted somebody something from the big book as to why i ate i'm quoting the big book on why i ate okay now that is an insanity but that's the problem see well one of the things if you read that big book they only the, the relapse only comes up a couple of times and it's more in that happens once and then it's done I think relapse. I, I don't think. I think the disease sits there and transforms when you come into program. And now it's using all these great program slogans as to why I'm going to go eat, or to justify all this stuff. And, it, and that's why it mutates. And I have to be, you know, it's that constant vigilance. You know, the price of absence is, a, is eternal vigilance. And that I need to say, you know what? If in a way my 14 years in program were the, le- the worst thing about. It. I should have, if I have come in and just been a newcomer and just said, tell me what to do and say, I've got to forget all that stuff. I mean, I've known people from my other program who come in and have got, you know, they circuit speakers and they come in and they can't get asked because you got to, you've got to take the brain, you've got to take that, the, this, you know, the credits don't transfer and you've got to be willing to just start over and it's hard if you've been around. I can, I can identify it and uh one of my favorite stories from somebody who will remain nameless uh, i I was quoting one day to to you about um the thing from the from the uh, more about alcoholism about it's the great desire of every compulsive eater to someday eat like a normal person. He goes, "No, we don't. We don't want to eat like normal people. We want to eat the way we want to eat and have none of the effects." If you think about it, and it's so true is, you know a normal person gets goes to a restaurant, orders a piece of cake, and takes one bite and goes, "Oh, that's too rich." <laughs> now I don't know about you guys, that would never that phrase would never come into my head. You know. So anyway, so anyway, no, yes, yes, yeah.
1: Your, um, idea of God and all that yeah. so in program mm-hmm. um, how has your relationship
0: with God changed when things aren't going away and you're not getting that life? right okay well how did my relationship with God change so came in. it was a slow process and really my higher power today is more about everything's happening exactly the way it's supposed to I don't have to like it. That was the other thing. I, it was the greatest lesson was given to me. Acceptance doesn't mean you have to like it. There was a part of me to put those two together, and I had to start to like, oh, gosh, it's great this guy just, you know, creamed my car in the parking lot or whatever. And and to say, no, I, I just got to accept it. Because at the end of it, I mean... To me, if you boil this whole program down into... I'll use a cooking term. If we reduce... And <laughs> go with eaters to cooking terms. If you reduce the program down to three lines, it's the serenity prayer, isn't it? I mean, accepting the things you can't change, the courage to change the things you can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Now, that last one is the huge gotcha of all time of what is the difference. But for me, when I think of when these bad things happen, the acceptance... Is the fact that it's happened. Whatever it is that's going on is happening. The accepting turns off the spigot of the stomach acid in me. You know? Because it's all about my reaction to everything in life. It's not about this, you know, shit's gonna happen in life. You know? There's a great quote from page 450 in the big book. And um, uh, that says to the, uh, the effect of, uh, the, the things, the, the things in life Flow endlessly for better or worse. There's good things and there's bad things. If I make my sobriety contingent on any one of those things, I'm cooked because there's always going to be something. and And I needed to to, to say, you know, for me today, my higher power is simply um, everything's happening the way it's supposed to, and I'm, uh, and I can go along, and I'm going to be okay. You know, you the other thing that happens to me after a while when stuff comes down is I go. John, you're 60 years old. You've gotten through everything life's had to throw at you, and you're still here. Do you really think this is going to be the one that throws you over the edge? And it's 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 sort of true. And I don't, you know, again, it's it's you know, and and there's a faith in that now that that that's going to happen. You know, I I um my mother before she passed away, you know, she'd come back in the program and she was trying to get oh come back to the church and all this, and then I try to get her to fly out here to L.A and oh no I can't I'm afraid to fly and I'm like mom you, you talk about faith and you don't want to get on the plane and and so she said to me one day she says so you believe if you get on a plane uh, uh that that God's going to make sure he doesn't crash and I go no Ma-, I said mom I live right next to Santa Monica airport if God wants me to die in a plane crash he'll bring the plane to me <laughs> you know and 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 so, I mean, I've just sort of gotten. I mean, it's it's that way with 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 almost everything now. You know, the last four step I did, I think I had like four fears, you know, written down. You know, I mean, I'm sure there are others I don't, didn't think of, but I just sort of say everything's going to happen, you know, and 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 that's it's really helped to sort of get that because. You know the other thing. I, I come for. I have control issues. Okay, that's like one of my major things. I'm still working. I I led a retreat. Oh no, it was it was a workshop up an open. And this lady got up and said her because we it, it became a topic on control issues. A lady got up and said her sponsor once told her other people are not imperfect versions of you. <laughs> and boy, that hit home for me. You know, um, but that you know. Uh, where was I going with that? I, I was... <laughs> I was going with just the, the idea of... Oh, that the, these control issues... They're all illusions of control, aren't they? Really, if you think about it, all these things that I want to have good are still just illusions of control. You know, somebody said to me one day, because like, I was a stand-up comic for a while, and then I do computer work, and I work for myself. And the person said, oh, I can never work for myself. I, just, I need the security of working at, a, at like, a, a, a company. And he said, yeah, I mean, like, like, let's say the number three corporation in America. And you go into this big office building, and it's, I don't know how many stories tall, and it's called Enron. And you show up at that secure job, and there's a lock in the door, or the key in the door. In, in. But that's true. You realize there's so many things in life, and if you don't find some kind of a higher power, that you're going to be a nervous wreck. And that's what this program... I just love the way this program... It, one step flows to the other, to the other, of, of of you know, you getting the third step and then getting in and cleaning up all this garbage in the fourth and fifth and giving away all the crap that you've been holding on to and then trying to keep... And a lot of these steps then become ongoing of, of working on your character defects, going and finding the people you harmed and trying to do their best. And then 10, 11, and 12 of... Of continuing, you know, to keep working on that and to try and expand, in some way, your spiritual condition. I, find I got into doing a little bit every day meditation-wise, which the greatest—I uh, tried for years to do meditation. The greatest meditation thing I ever found is called a dog. <laughs> I have to take my dog out every morning and walk it, and I try. I had an old AA sponsor used to say to me, "Look, here's the key to med: just get up every morning and don't turn on the TV." Don't turn on the computer. Make yourself a cup of whatever you might drink tea and just don't hit the ground running, you know. And and it's really true. And I have a a book I read sometimes. And just to get myself in the idea of I'm in a 12-step program life, I need to keep that mindset. And so and the funny thing is, when I do that, my day just seems to go better. On the occasional day, I don't do that. I go through life like I've been thrown out of a car at 50 miles an hour, and all I'm trying to do is not go face down into the gravel. And, and, uh, so anyway, I the that helps. Terrell, you had your hand up, and then I'll get to you, okay? Uh, so you
1: three major character defects that you have right now. Uh-huh.
0: How are you doing, are, how are you working the program to have them released? Really? Okay, how am I working, okay, uh, how, I have, I have a lot more than three major character defects, but how am I working to get them released? Well, I try, one of the things, you know, the, the new pair of glasses, keeping it to focus on me and trying to say what's my part, that was the great thing, uh, one of the things you get trained with doing the, the four step is this really Look at what's my part in all these things, and immaturity is, is one of the biggest ones. I, you know I want everything my way I want a, I want you know uh, you know I want every there's this great over Allen on I guess I can talk about this they have a thing called the checklist for emotional maturity and one of those lines is it says something to the effect of some inconvenience on my part is necessary in a society so that other people can be have convenience so in other words, I don't get every green light. I want every green light, but I don't because other people have a right to a green light too. And, I, and, and so part of that immaturity, and, and it doesn't mean that, this do, that I don't revert in an instant when something hits me, but I try as best as I can to all of a sudden try and, and say, okay, wait a minute, what's my part in this? Now, I don't always right away. I think the longer you're in, the better you are at doing the the 10-step thing of realizing it and, and, and trying to get it better. Um, on self-centeredness, I, I, I try. I try to be of service, you know, especially, you know, in a, I'm married. So, you know, part of this is be of service here too you know meaning i don't get to always do what i want and and something i may not want to do i do because it's part of of life um god i've got a lot of them (laughs) you know well, you know, one of the worst things for me is cynicism because uh, I always joke I have the trifecta of cynicism in that I'm an alcoholic comedian from New York. <laughs> you put the, so I want to roll my eyes at everything. But the thing is, that's my disease. It's another, it's another piece of ammunition for my disease. that uh, You know, I, if I roll my eyes on it, I don't have to really look at it. And a lot of times the things I'm rolling my eyes at are things I'm threatened over. You know, or I don't understand. I'll, I'll give you an example. One of the ones that I, the, the biggest eye roll when I first, it was when I first heard of positive affirmations. I would just say, oh, yeah, I'm going to go stand in front of a mirror and say, oh, you're a good person, gosh darn it, and people like you. But you know what? I was so quick to grab all the negative affirmations I had about myself and buy them hook, line, and sinker that I realized, you know, there's only one way to really get rid of those is to start doing that stuff that I want to make fun of you know and so for me it's about working the steps and, and trying to say I don't want to be the old me I, I joke my first wife had John 1.0 I was in a long term relationship between my two marriages she got John 2.0 my wife is, now has John 3.0 and 4.0 is in data and that's why I'm here <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> Casey yeah Thank you very much. Um, I'm back to make an Ellen on slip. I do want people on the podcast to know this. The uh, story of the frog
0: in the boiling water is not true. No.
1: okay. <laughs> because it's, you know, it's important to know that oh, you
0: okay. have sensations. Oh, okay. That's fine. I always thought the frog in the boiling water was true. Don. Yeah.
1: So uh,
0: what do you do today when the salesman's in your ear to, uh, to deal with it? Ah, well, yeah, it's, it's been a while since the salesman's totally in my ear, but it'll, it'll start telling me. You know, here's the other thing about this disease that makes it so evil. My disease backs up as far as it's got to. My salesman will back up. So even though he can't say to me today, "Oh, John, you know, let, let's go to 7-Eleven and, and go buy up a bunch of stuff and eat it," but it'll just keep that. You know, it's like a, remember that movie Asteroid? I think it was called where they they figure out if it's an asteroid heading toward Earth, you can't just go blow it up because then you have ten asteroids heading toward Earth. You go way far out and just nudge it just a little, and then by the time it gets here, it's well, that's what my disease wants to do. It wants to go back to here and nudge you just a little and say, you know, you're going to too many meetings. You don't need to go to this many meetings. Because if it knows you can get me to do that, then, you know. And, and I tell my sponsees, I like, uh, I've learned a long time with three meetings a week. And somebody asked me, well, what's the key? And I go, there's nothing the key. But if you don't have a line in the sand, three becomes two, becomes one. And then, again, my quick forgetter takes over. Uh, but when the things do come up a little, they're sort of fringy things, you know. Thing, um, my, my food plan—I I, for the most part don't eat sugar and flour too much. I have three meals a day, and I have a night to snack, which is essentially a deferred dessert, uh, you know. Uh, but um, I'll find myself starting to play games with it, you know. Well, you know that isn't really—it isn't really, fly, you know. And I—and when I catch myself, I go. Okay, thank you, thank you Mr. Salesman, you know. <laughs> uh, I don't want to buy. <laughs> so, that's, that's what I do. Yes, Carol!
1: share so now that you have 10 seconds left you can oh. you yeah that so.
0: well uh, you know I mean again uh, you know I, the other thing is is I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in going th- keep going through the steps I know some people say 10 11 and 12 but part of it is you know you peel the onion I always joke that they keep making more onion on me <laughs> you know but I, in subsequent fourth steps I had things there that either I had never I'd forgotten about or things that I hadn't considered a problem and then I, all of a sudden as you get better and you're more honest and all these things you realize so that it helped and then I continue through I've made almost all the amends and then in 10, 11, 12 you know, I, you, know, I, you know I love in the big book it's right there on page 86 both 10 and 11 you know upon you know retiring at night and upon awakening there's stuff there to do and then with 12 you know I do try to carry the message I do you guys know I do a lot of service and and then the big gotcha to me is practice these principles in all our affairs. You know, somebody I have a lot of respect for who's in program, who I won't, who's in this meeting room right now, I used to book, when, when we first started doing the podcast at Light a Candle, I would get all these people I really wanted, and, and and one of the guys came, I said, I really want you, you've got great program, and he said, I'm sorry, Saturday nights are, I've committed to my wife, so I don't do that. And... To me, there's the 12th step, right? Oh, I'm going to tell my wife, oh, the hell with you. I know I told you that, but I'm going to go up and tell everybody what a wonderful program I'm working. (laughs) You know, that was walking the walk, you know, practicing the principles in all our affairs. And that, to me, is all this stuff is just academic if you don't then take it out into the real world. So anyway, thanks for letting me share.